Craig is thinking. And now Craig is recording. All Gentlemen, right. take it away. Cool. So, yeah, thanks for everybody uh, for coming. This is the Discord Q&A for the Cadet Records box. I guess first off, uh, let's do a little bit of a time for some healing. Because, uh, as you can tell, Steven is your gold teeth three. Uh, he was previously known as Young Buck Owens. And I can explain why it's previously. Uh, I was originally Young Buck Owens. Like, we can just rip that off. This is like a catfish story. Uh, when we first launched the Discord, we weren't sure how welcome staff would be in it beyond Polly. And to be frank, I was, I was fucking scared to be in the Discord, given how it had sort of ended for me on our Reddit. And so I made this account that could allow me to be here uh, anonymously. And then when I realized that like, oh no, the Reddit rules, or not the Reddit, the Discord <laughs> rules, uh, I should just be myself on here. And then I gave it off to Steven. And then a couple other people have just used that account to lurk uh on our discord staffers who did not want to make their own so steven you are your gold teeth uh welcome to the discord you might interact more because you don't feel this weird burden of being young buck owens anymore so sorry to anybody who's who's hurt by my my uh my deception um please don't call neve schulman on me but yeah i've been not not storf since like the second or third week of the discord so uh that's out of the way now let's let's go to the cadet q a um steven i guess I, I how do we start telling the story of how this box came to be i mean there you're was... the one with the idea first so like yeah I can trace the moment that I think you and I both knew, wait a sec, this could be a thing. Um, and this was probably, this was at least three years ago, because I remember pitching it in person at the office. Um, I had pitched the Shades of Brown record for classics, and I kind of couched it as like, look, this is pretty left field, but I think this could be a good classics. Um, and I think in by the end of that meeting, we were like, eh, maybe this isn't a good fit for classics, but I had kind of tossed off like, what if we did a cadet anthology sort of half jokingly and you kind of looked at me like send me a pitch let's talk about this mm -hmm. and then i think within a week we basically had the titles nailed down we were like yeah we were, we were kind of in a frenzy of like yep we can do this 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 could be a thing yeah then, i mean it, it, yeah. so it would have had to have been fall of 2019 was when we were in the office so like really three years from the time you pitched it until we put it up for pre-order three and a half years but yeah i remember you i remember you pitching shades of brown because i was out there and it happened to be pitch meeting week the old format of like us doing the pitches from everybody in that production meeting we used to have so uh yeah and i mean i guess from my my vantage you came with this idea and i had not that much knowledge of cadet records and you basically gave me like the crib notes and then sent me a list of like i think 12 or 13 records originally like it was a big list and i listened to everything and was like yeah this is definitely like this is anthology like we're not going to be able to get to this story without uh you know 
doing multiple albums. I didn't want to try to do it with just one record. So it was like, let's see what happens. But then I guess quick to back up, first off too, that you didn't know the Marshall Chess thing when you pitched me. Remember that? I think, yeah, there was, there was a sort of like cosmic alignment of we had talked about cadet pitch and then within a week paul you had posted in our slack of like hey everyone we got this email from marshall chess uh just congratulations this is such a cool thing and marshall had written in uh in reference to our reissue of fathers and sons and classics to basically say like thank you for honoring my family's my family's legacy like this is such an important record to me and to like know that other people get to have this and get to have this experience is so meaningful and like basically immediately, like Paul, you had posted that in Slack, and I think Storf, you slacked me like ten seconds later. Like, holy shit, Marshall knows us. Marshall likes us. We have Marshall's yeah. email. Yeah, the light bulb started like breaking in my mind because I was like, yeah, yeah. He just and Paulie, he just like cold emailed email like info at right. He one of the few times that artists or people connected to artists have just randomly emailed into the queue and been like. Oh hey, you uh, you did these records like <laughs> I have history with this obviously, and like that's really cool. And like we sent him a copy, and then yeah, the rest is history from there. <laughs> right? Yeah, and I think we set him up with a membership even too. But like yeah, so like we had this weird kismetic thing where like Marshall Chess is emailing us, Stephen is pitching this idea, and is like, and it's Marshall Chess who ran the label, and we're like, oh my god. But then it took. You know, I had to, this was one of the first uh, things that I had to put together after I sort of went full-time music team, where I had to, like, do all of the paperwork to request tapes and, like, request the licensing and, like, all that kind of stuff. And that took, like, a year to get, like, fully approved uh, from, like, the point where I said, like, hey, Universal, we are interested in this please let us do this. And then it was like another year <laughs> from, from when we got the yes until it went on sale, basically. Is that, that's pretty much it, right? Yeah, it was like remarkably drawn out. I remember having like a year and a half to just kind of sit with the titles that I, I was like, I think this is going to be the box. And I basically just listened to those records for a year and a half straight until finally it was at a place where like, Okay, now you now you can write about them. You can you can basically start working on these because this actually will be a thing. I kind of lived right. in limbo for like a year and a half out of this whole three year timeline. It was like it may or may not happen. Study up, but like don't put too much effort into it just yet. And then finally, once we got the sign offs, it's like all right, we're off. You're going, yeah, and yeah, and I, you know as. Like, at that point, I think I had mostly taken over Anthology as, like, helming it from a, you know, strategy perspective. And it was like, there is no reason that we should be paying someone else to write this or to work on the podcast. Because, like, I can't stress to you enough, the people who are listening to this, like, Steven knows more about Cadet than anyone who works at Universal ever has or will. Like, Steven is the cadet expert on Earth at this point. And it would have felt so weird for us to be like, all right, Steven, this thing that you're really, really passionate about, and, like, you're the reason that it's happening at VMP, let's hire somebody to put your thoughts into a booklet. Like, and that's why I end up writing so many booklets, too. It's like, 
you just it, we have this passion and you know why you picked it and it just would feel weird to be like here like some random music writer like you know here's here's steven you know like steven will tell you exactly what he wants to be conveyed so yeah you had a really long time to write then right like you had multiple multiple months to write the booklet yeah yep i had a really long time to sit there with those titles and think like okay what what could be written about these what is the narrative behind these and then i think once we really got the like yes this is going to be a thing that's when i kind of did a deep dive research on cadet itself and really understanding the label and how it how everything sort of interconnected but yeah i basically spent a year and a half listening to only eight albums and and knowing them inside and out and understanding how they fit into the larger scheme of cadet which is very confusing because often it seems like there is just cadet will lose the plot over the course of their 10 years they zigged and zagged and then went inside out so to try and find the narrative within that i'm glad i had as much time as i did yeah, I mean, this had the longest gestation period of any anthology at this point. Like, uh, it's been the one that, you know, we, I guess, may, well, Impulse, but we picked those albums two years ago at this point. But uh, we really had a long time in between, like, when we were, you know, thinking of it and when it actually got the green light. So, and we can get into the more curational picks, like the reasons for the curation in the questions, because I think that was biggest question but i guess for you as the cadet super super fan what was it like to get on with marshall chess because like we obviously had his email after he emailed in like, how did that feel to be like not only are we doing this project that's this like insane passion project for you, you also get to the talk to the guy who produced all of them like what was that like for you it was incredibly intimidating at first uh, just because like he is kind of a legend in his own right, whether you know him from his Chester cadet years, or if you've seen, I can't remember which of those like Rolling Stone, doc Rolling Stones documentaries came out from the seventies when he was their manager. But like he has lived 10 different lives. So I was pretty freaked out to like first get on that, that first interview call with him, but he is the nicest, just most amicable guy i i and truly like it goes back to his that first email like he has that gratitude of like thank you for honoring my family's legacy like this means so much to me i think when you really pull back and you know how chess ended and you understand his relationship to the end of chess i think for him to know that in this day and age 50 years removed people still care so much and that the end of the chess cadet you know that whole label family it didn't just end in smoldering ruin and that was it um so i think any time that someone wants to talk to marshall about chess records cadet i think cadet specifically he was pretty excited because i don't think it, no one had ever knocked on marshall's door to talk about the records that he had produced they they would want maybe a soundbite about electric mud but for the most part the last time i talked to him he was like oh it's so refreshing to talk about cadet because everybody wants to talk about the 50th anniversary of exile on main street and he's like i've said everything a person could possibly say about the rolling stones it's refreshing to talk about these weird passion project records that i did in the late 60s that i thought just nobody gave a shit about um so he man, he had more energy than i do most days as an 80 81 year old man like he i think like i said in the podcast our first conversation was just for me to like clarify a few facts talk to him super briefly we ended up talking for three and a half hours and he is such a 
powerhouse of a person. I asked two questions in the span of three and a half hours. He just kept going. And as he would talk about something, he would remember these little side stories and things that were completely tangential. But he's he is just full of this wild first person knowledge when there's really not much of that around anymore from cadet like those those people that really made cadet like most of them are gone at this point so he really does kind of hold all those stories but yeah it was an absolute joy to be able to talk with them and sort of uh, befriend him in a way i think we really did sort of bond over this fact of like oh people still care about cadet yeah well I, i do i hope other people do Right, and then we got cadet tattoos at the end of this, which we have to be the only people on Earth with cadet tattoos at this point. Yeah, yours is on the underside of your arm. Mine is right here uh, on my forearm. Can't get it because my dog's in the way. But uh, yeah, like, yeah, man, it's it's crazy. Like, I've said it to you in very, very different mediums, but if Steven's passion for this did not exist, Final Me Please would not have done this. And like, it's so cool to work somewhere where the, the passions of, you know, one employee can end up being this like massive box set and this huge undertaking that a bunch of people are involved in. So like, yeah, thank you again, man. Like I, I don't have one yet. Cause I'm waiting. There are some mistakes with the promo copies with the print. So like, I'm still waiting on mine. You have one. Paulie, did you get one of these? Uh, no, I, I, I was not. Paulie, we'll on, get you on the uh, promo list. We're going to send you oh one. My, oh, my yeah, God. We'll send we'll Paulie one. We got promo copies we can give. Yeah, we'll copies. send you one, Paulie. Yeah. But, yeah, it, this, is, this is Vinyl Me Please at our best. Like, us doing this kind of box set uh, and, and caring about making sure that we get this right. And that, uh, you know, that, that this would not have happened. Like Universal, this this cadet box is a rounding error on Drake streaming numbers for a single album. Like, they were never, ever going to do this. And like, if it wasn't for Steven being so passionate, we would have never have done it. So, um, yeah, we're really excited about this. I think this makes sense now for us to transition to questions, Polly, if you want to start asking them. I love it. Let's let's get into it. Oh, and Julia uh, in the comments. Julia's got you on the promo list, so oh we're all good. Thanks, Julia. Yeah, I'm so taken care of. Um, all right, let's just jump right in then to questions here. First uh, batch of them comes from uh, our our good friend uh, DJ Scribs. Uh, first one is Cadet has such an intense catalog. How did you choose these for the antho? Was there a focus, a mission statement you had in mind when selecting the titles? I mean, Steven can answer most of this, but I know that I said Electric Mud had to be in this. I think that was like about my only note. Otherwise, I was like, Steven, you pick them. And I was just like, has to be Electric Mud. Like, otherwise, it's your your pick. So, Steven, explain why you picked the rest of them. Yeah, yeah, I think we both knew without even having to say anything that a box without electric mud simply it just wouldn't make any yeah. sense. You can the do it one... without the Howling Wolf record, but not the Muddy record. Like, yep. yeah. And I, it's funny, I, I was getting ready for this last night and kind of looking over the questions, and I went back. So you and I had a shared, shared doc from the fall of 2020. 
And we had sort of put things in four different categories. One was just like, yep, these are our must-haves. This is what's going to go in the box. And we would kind of filter from the other folders into that one. And we had um, a set of like, okay, they should have included this. These are the things that didn't make the cut, but they were so close. Um, we had hidden gems, and then we had outliers, which if you look at the cadet catalog at large, everything's, I mean, I, I'm inclined to say that everything's kind of a hidden gem. Like, they put out some really bizarre stuff that just doesn't make sense any way you cut it. That's kind of fascinating, and I sort of wanted to speak to that. So I think, um, obviously, the must-haves are the eight titles in your box. You stumped for the first Rotary Connection album more so than Hey Love. I, I do remember seeing that note. And that that was one that we kind of went back and forth on because I think ultimately the debut Rotary Connection album is probably more important to the cadet story. But I think that ending on Hey Love, like it just hadn't gotten a good reissue. There was a probably a large, there was a larger story about Charles Stepney and what I think what could have been um, I think that Hey Love is a record of, like, I would just love to have known what the next album after that would be. Um, so there's a little bit of, like, what what could the future of Cadet have been beyond that? I think those those were two of the biggest ones that you stumped for. Um, we made a really strong, like, we we kind of had to put things on the rails of, like, okay, if we're telling the story of Cadet, it is it can't be Argo. If we were to do Argo we would sort of lose several crucial titles from both sides. I think the story would get a little too big and it, it wouldn't, I don't think it would make for a better box to try and tell the Argo and Cadet story together. If we had done Argo, um, I know that that was one of the other questions. Uh, yeah, someone asked what the top three albums from Argo that we would have considered. It would have been Ahmed Jamal's But Not For Me, Etta James At Last, and Ramsey Lewis Trio's The In Crowd which I think would have been really troublesome because I would have wanted to put Mother Nature's Son in there as well. I would have wanted to put Tell Mama in there as well. So either we would have had like a 16 LP anthology or we would have had a lesser, uh, I guess, regular sized anthology. Um, yeah, and if we wanted it to be 16 LPs, if you guys thought $350 was spendy, a 16 LP version of this would have required the down payment on a house, basically. So, yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I think having that that really strong line of like, all right, Cadet starts at Cadet. You're, you're, the first album you can pick is Bob Hope's uh, On the Road to Vietnam, which was never going to happen. And then all the way through 1975 when they stopped releasing new albums, so that that kept things a little bit more manageable. Um, so that was that was kind of nice. Um, for the albums that were really close but didn't quite make the cut, um, I would say if there was a ninth LP in this box, it would have been the Dells. There is um, just a fantastic record. It's beautiful. Um, beyond that, you know, we talked about the Rotary Connection debut. Um, John Clemmer's Blow and Gold, and I think there's another question in here about, we, we can get to it too, about um, what records Marshall would have chosen. So Marshall was not involved in the curation of the set. I We started to contact after we had kind of put together our list. Um, and he never really spoke directly to like, oh, if I was doing this, I would have done it this way. He was very, very welcoming to like, oh, I love that you did Mother Nature's Son. And like, yeah, I don't know this. I don't know this uh, Shades of Brown record too well. I think I kind of remember these guys, but you know, he was sort of out the door at that time. Um, but I got the sense that he would have loved to see the Rotary Connection debut. And he told me that um, John Clemmer's Blow and Gold 
was the closest that he ever got to producing the sound that was in his head. And I thought that was a really beautiful thing. He was like, you know, as a producer, you maybe get 70% of what you want and what you hear in your head that, you know, is actually in the finished project because you're working with all of these different other musicians and voices and ideas. But he's like, Blow and Gold was the closest that I ever got to the Marshall chess sound that was that was in his head. So I think that would have, and that was that was definitely high on our list. That might have been LP number 10 if, if we could have stretched up that far. Um, we debated between Terry Callier. Um, all three of his cadet records are just fantastic. I, I think that was probably the last piece to fall into place between us. We debated pretty heavily between Occasional Rain and What Color Is Love. And it was basically a coin flip, but I think narratively, starting on his first record back after his debut, um, sort of his cadet debut, it just felt a little more appropriate to do Occasional Rain. And I'm, I'm glad that we did it that way because I fell in love with that album in a way that I haven't connected with most albums in this world. It's just a beautiful thing. Um, going down the list, there were definitely things that like, uh, this might appear in a lot, like maybe this could be a store exclusive or some related thing, but uh, the Archie Whitewater record, both of the Eddie Fisher records on Cadet are fantastic. Um, Phil Upchurch's solos, like his solo albums on Cadet are all really wonderful. Um, Shirley Scott did a number of records on Cadet in the early 70s that are all worth seeking out. And then there's just some weird stuff that I was like, this this speaks to Cadet's like bizarrest, most out there thoughts. Like the Woody Herman records are really good, like bizarre psychedelic big band stuff. Um, the Status Quo, their debut album. But it just didn't quite fit the narrative. It didn't really feel like they were necessarily cadet records in the same way that what ended up in the box was. I hope that answered a question. That was that was an answer for the answer hall of fame, my friend. That was that was that was well played. Um and he has more. Uh I mean, and I don't think you because you covered a lot, but I don't think you covered this. What was the first cadet release that ever caught your attention or that you owned? I distinctly remember being 18, and I had a close friend who was into a lot of the same music as me, and I remember us illegally downloading Electric Mud because we had heard about it on some list or something, and we were both kind of like, oh, yeah, Muddy Waters, he's great. Like, I wonder what this is all about. And we downloaded it, and we started listening to it. We're like, this is, like, our ears hurt. I can't go on. Like, there's something here. This is interesting. But it. I was not ready to hear Electric Mud at that time. And it's it's kind of funny. Even now, I, I still feel like I sort of have, like, a love-hate relationship. Like, it's not something you throw on at a dinner party. It is very visceral music. And when you're in the right mood for it, nothing hits better than that. But you, you can't just put it on and walk away and, like, do dishes. Um, but that was that was the first real brush I had with Cadet. And then years later, coming back to it, it's like, okay, that aggressiveness, that that confrontational sound, that psychedelic, like taking someone who you think you know in a certain way and completely turning it on its head and being very much in the psychedelic moment and trying all these new things, I started to realize, oh, th- this is what Cadet does. This is what they did with Dorothy Ashby. This is what they would do with... Alan Wolf, um, Ramsey Lewis. So I started to see that philosophy, but yeah, my first brush with Cadet was uh, maybe not the most enjoyable, and I, I kind of put Electric Mud aside for like a good 10 years after that, but it was 
I never forgot it. I'll say that. It stuck with you. <laughs> it stuck with you. And for me, it was the Howlin' Wolf record that they had randomly on CD at the Oshkosh Public Library. And I remembered that record and being like, knowing that he was on the list of like, you know, most important bluesmen of all time. Then I got that CD and was like, I don't even know what the fuck this is. And the cover is him saying he hates the record. And so like, yeah, that's what I thought Howling Wolf was until I was able to get the CD copy of, uh, you know, the like moaning at midnight or whatever from, from the public library. But yeah, so that, and then, I mean, I guess the, the Ruby yacht of Dorothy Ashby was that in, that's on Cadet too, right? Oh, you better believe it. Yeah. Uh, and, and so like, yeah, that was the precursor to this in a way. It was like you stumping for that. And you wrote the liner notes for that classics release too. So, yeah. Yeah, I kind of, I fell in love with Dorothy Ashby just maybe a year or two before I started working at VMP. Um, and then I think about as soon as it was clear to me that I could pitch records at VMP, I had started pitching all of basically every Dorothy Ashby album that was put out, but I found myself especially leaning towards Afro harping. And then I think I got really far out and I was like, you know what? I'm going to shoot my shot. Rubaiyat is the weirdest record she ever did by a mile. It's one of the strangest, but also the most cadet records of their entire discography. Like if we hadn't done it in classics, it's probably a good chance we would have done it in this box instead. Um, but yeah, that all kind of came together. And at the same time that I was starting at VMP, we had put out Etta James's, Etta James Sings Funk. And I think kind of at the same time I was listening to Dorothy Ashby, that Etta James album came out, I had started getting into Mother Nature's Son and I started to hear like, oh, there's, there's something a little more here. Like it's, it's not just that they happen to come out on the same label. There is a certain glue that binds all of these records. And I sort of started tugging at that string and just going down cadet records catalog and going oh this is of a piece like these are all interconnected in a way there's nothing else that really sounds like this and they do sort of have a house sound from having a house band and recording in the same studio with the same people and so i think that was sort of the beginning of maybe there's a bigger story here and it was you know, the, cadet, the the chess story has been told. There are multiple books. I mean, there's Cadillac Records, the movie that was lightly veiled as the chess story. But nothing had ever really been dedicated to the cadet story, which was exciting at first of like, wow, I can't believe no one's done this. And then I think there were a few moments along the way where I was like, wait, why has no one done this? Is there a good reason? Like, why has this never existed before? And why, uh, yeah, I, the research you had to do, it's like it would almost be helpful if there was at least one book about this or even a lengthy article anywhere on the internet and there was not. Yeah. Yeah, I would have openly welcomed just a nice big resource book only about Cadet, but you kind of have to read all the books about chess and then glean what you can about Cadet from them because they were, Cadet was just kind of an also ran in terms of you know, it's there's more of a story maybe to someone to talk about Muddy Waters and uh, Howard Wolf and all these major players, and then Cadet is just sort of forgotten in a sense in that larger story. But yeah, so I had to pick it. I looked through every issue of Billboard magazine released from I think 1959 through 1976 
for just any mention about Cadet. Um, I looked through all the copies of Downbeat, uh, just anywhere I could to find an interview with their musicians, a review of one of the records. They weren't widely reviewed. Like even at the time, there was not a whole lot being written about Cadet or its artists. So it was it was fun to go down every rabbit hole that I could. I also would have just loved like a central like jumping off point, but I. I think that sort of helped me shape my own narrative about Cadet. Yeah, and that's going to get us a Grammy. You're going to win one for liner notes. If you have this box, you know that the liner notes booklet is is the most extensive booklet we've probably ever written, and that's thanks to Stephen. So, yeah. I mean, judging off of all of the answers you've given already, like, yeah, I, that I can imagine that liner notes is packed it's, with packed it's with banging, juicy. man. Yeah, it's um. Okay, so uh, another one was uh, it's hard not to notice the absence of Ahmad Jamal in the set. What's your favorite Jamal Cadet title and why didn't you include it? Um, frankly, you know, because we had sort of drawn the line of not Argo. I'm just not super wild about the Cadet-specific releases from Ahmad Jamal. Um, I think it... At that stage, Cadet, and I want to say it was like Richard Evans, I think, was producing most of those. You know, it's like Ahmad Jamal with strings and a choir, which is this very different setting if you're used to hearing the Ahmad Jamal trio. I don't think it... They work. They sound good. But I just don't think in the larger scheme of Ahmad Jamal's catalog, I don't think his Cadet releases are necessarily the strongest. Um, but not for me is fantastic. Tranquility, which I think came out on ABC in 68. You know, it's in that cadet time frame, but it just wasn't cadet. I, I really like that album. It wasn't a possibility. And I think The Awakening is fantastic. So in, in the course of that, like, 10, 15 years, he put out fantastic records. None of them were on cadet specifically. So I feel like it just didn't make sense to try and shoehorn an Ahmad Jamal album that I wasn't personally in love with. Just to, like have him in there i and i but i wanted to work in you know because but not for me was such a landmark release it basically established cadet like that is kind of the record that built cadet to hear marshall talk about coming in after school and boxing up just dozens and dozens and dozens of boxes of that record it's a hugely important album within the larger story but it just didn't quite work for uh this specific part of the narrative Makes sense. Um, were there any tiles that you wanted to do but couldn't because of logistics, like tape damage or anything like that? Amazingly not. Um, I think in the same way that Storff and I sort of had this moment when we saw Marshall reach out, there was another moment where we we sent off a, an email of requests for titles to Universal to see, like, hey, do you have tapes for these? And and it was all of all of the records that are in the box and a few more that we had kind of, you know, maybe they were contingencies or we've kind of got them earmarked for other things down the line. I think we were both blown away to get a response back of like, yep, we have tapes for every single thing that you requested. Um, I think if you know anything about Cadet, Chess specifically, you know that most of the artists in this box and really many artists on the Chess roster were specifically named in that New York Times article about um, the Universal Fires. So it was it was pretty shocking and, and honestly very heartening to get that email back of like, oh, everything that we want to do, we can do from tapes. Like, we don't have to make any compromises. So I that, that also felt like kismet of like, okay, 
the stars are aligning. This this is going to happen. Yeah, because we were totally like, we might there might not be tapes for anything, and we're still going to do it. But like, there's a good chance they're going to come back and say no tapes, and we were like, holy shit, they have all of them. So, yeah, that was a cool moment. When does that happen? <laughs> Yeah, like, not very yeah. much. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, okay, we already covered that question. Uh, what was the most difficult obstacle facing the production of this then? It was getting test pressings that sound good, pretty much, once we got it going, right? Because that took how many months? Like eight or nine months from when we first got our first test pressings to final ones, right? Exactly. Yeah, I think it was almost nine months to the day of... Um, well, that's first... right, because it was your baby in more ways than one. The uh, yep. yeah, <laughs> metaphor of it being your baby was nine months. Yeah, because yeah. Um, half of the titles needed to be recut in here. Uh, Mother Nature's Son was recut twice, so it was just that there were there were a few times during production that I kind of thought like, oh, this might be cursed. Like maybe this isn't supposed to happen. Um, I couldn't. It was just one of those things where. Even before I'd opened the record, I'm like, I think this is going to need a recut. I just had a bad feeling about it. And yeah, half of them needed to be recut. So it sort of drug out the project a little bit longer than any of us would have liked. But in the end, uh, totally worth it. That that was really the biggest headache. I think other than that, things happened to fall into place like weirdly well other than that. So thankfully, that was the only real like production. Yeah, and it was of... really just like a long time on the paperwork part of it. Like mm. we, we had the idea for three plus years and just like getting the, the lowercase J's dotted and the T's crossed was the only thing that like that took the most amount of time, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think there was there was a little bit of hand wringing on my part. I guess I, I wring my hands a lot. That's that's production for you. But I would notice that after we pitched these records, I'd start seeing them pop up on DSPs of like, oh, that's strange. Hey, Love that's never, right. Hey, Love was never available on Spotify. Um, that's interesting timing. And so I was I a little that, bit, yeah. I was a little bit concerned that these titles were being uh, recognized by Universal. And I don't want to throw them under the bus. They're they're great partners to work with. But I I think there was a moment of like, wait, are they gonna do this? They own it. One and what didn't the Rubaiyat of Dorothy Ashby? That was another one, right? That wasn't on Spotify. And then as soon as it got approved for us to do vinyl, it popped up, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember actually like that was like a big thing in Slack when that when we when we popped when that popped up. And yeah, because yeah, Steven, you were like, oh cool, it's out. And I'm like, yeah, it's because of you. Like you requested it. Like, that's why it's on Spotify now. Because you were just like, awesome, it's on Spotify now. And I was like, yeah, it's because somebody realized that they gave the licensing to us to do vinyl and it wasn't on Spotify. <laughs> like, that's what, yeah. Amazing. Um, well, okay, so this next one, it is, I don't know if it's a question or what. It just says, Marlena Shaw, The Spice of Life. Yeah, that that would have been record number nine or ten that was absolutely considered in the running um yeah and it, it felt a little strange to omit it because the record is it's fantastic it is so good um but i think as i looked at the larger scope of things it, it just didn't quite make the cut i would love for us to do something on that title at some point it's it's a very special album it just ah so so close but 
just didn't quite make it. I'm not going to bring it up again. I know I can I can sense that it's a sensitive subject, so I won't I won't I won't even mention it ever again to you. So just so you know. Um, Paul, I, I okay. want to talk about cadet records all the time with anyone for any reason. Let's we can talk about it. We can go there. <laughs> I'm dare you. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, all right. How? Uh, oh nope. We already answered that one. Okay. Pick your personal best sounding record from a set. It's like picking. Well, children. Steven, you're the only one with it. So, uh, I mean, the one I'm most excited to listen to is the Dorothy Ashby Afro harping. Um, because I was like sort of familiar with her before Steven uh, pitched uh, the classics record we did. And then I got super into listening to her. Um, and so, yeah, that like Afro harping, I think for a while we're even considering for essentials, but decided to keep in the box. Like, yeah, th I'm, I'm really excited for that one. But Steven, which one sounds the best? I gave you some time to think. <laughs> I mean, Afro harping really does sound just beautiful it's yeah opened up in a way that i you know i've never had an original i've never heard an original but i've i've got a copy of like the most recent universal release of it and that that's a serviceable copy this is a truly beautiful thing but i would have to say i'm really between electric mud i think electric mud sounds fantastic like so for being such a i mean literally like muddy record it is there's so much going on uh, but there's so much definition in it. Um, it just leaps out of your speakers. I, I love the way it sounds. And I, I'm going to say, too, I think Hey Love sounds magnificent, too. There is there's maybe no like better two seconds of music in my mind than like the opening drum fill to Black Gold of the Sun. Hearing that AAA on wax, like it just sounds so so good like when i first opened it up i think i just kept moving my needle to that that part just to hear it over and over again i couldn't believe it um so i would say that those two are sort of tied for best sounding in my humble opinion i mean if i'm good i mean your opinion is uh <laughs> if there's anybody that knows a good sounding vmp record uh it's definitely you <laughs> um all right, what was the process behind the Ramsey Lewis title? Given the tape issues with Side B, why did you still choose this title over another Lewis recording? Um, yeah, so I, first and foremost, we had pitched that and sort of committed to it before we knew anything about the tapes. Um, I just think it makes the most sense. It is When you look at Ramsey's entire catalog, I think he put out almost 100 records in his life, which is just nuts. He put out three or four records a year for a long time. But Mother Nature's Son just really stands out in a very specific way. You can see, you can very clearly understand the cadet influence. And so I think that it's some of Ramsey's best playing, bar none. Like I've listened to so much Ramsey Lewis and I think this is him at his most animated, him at his most inspired and really him furthest out of his comfort zone, but it does not sound like that. So that was really the impetus behind picking that. And I was pretty steadfast on that. I think there's other obviously great Ramsey Lewis Argo records. Um, I think the piano player is really fantastic. Maiden Voyage is a great record of his on Cadet, but it was always going to be Mother Nature's Son. Um, and I sh should probably clear up. So the, the issue with the tapes, he got the tapes for both the A side and B side. Um, and he was the one that kind of let us know of like, hey, there's there's just some 
some stuff on the tape that like if we cut this triple a it's it's not going to be enjoyable i can clean it up i can digitize it and i can cut it from that so that's why it sounds so similar to side a is that he was working from the tapes um, but he had to digitize them just to sort of clean some stuff up so it's not like he was working from a totally different source altogether for side b um, so we kind of arrived at that together and felt like that was really the best way to present the album but yeah it was always going to be mother nature's son there you go moving right along what was the process and reasoning behind giving grint the tapes for electric mud um that was the only one where the the available tapes were not in the u.s um, all the other ones were in the universal vaults here in uh, stateside whereas the electric mud tapes were from a copy tape that was sent to the UK. So they, they were just based in Universal UK. They couldn't leave the country. Um, obviously, we've worked with Barry and the the fine folks at Air Mastering, and it was it was obvious. Like, I, I always like Barry's work, especially on rock stuff, and it was just like a slam dunk of like, yep, well, can't leave the country. We know a great engineer in, in the UK, so we're going to put it on Barry's calendar. Back in the history of reasons for using certain people for certain tapes or whatnot that is the most clear-cut like yeah they were there, over there and that's where they stayed and we love them so <laughs> two plus yeah because because i can clarify too that like when tapes are in another country labels definitely do not want to send them over an ocean uh they're even a little bit weird sending them over vast expanses of the u.s so the idea of them getting put on a plane and shipped over here is a no-go. So that's why, you know, us having Barry there is great, but like, it's from a label perspective. They're like, we have no problem with you using the tapes, but they're not leaving the borders of the country that they're in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. <laughs> um, all right. That, uh, that wraps up the, uh, the, the questions from DJ Scribs. Uh, <laughs> So moving right along, uh, shake your booty. Question one: We and you might have touched on this, but top three albums from Argo label that you would have considered for the box if they were on Cadet instead. Yeah, it, it would have been Ahmed Jamal's, but not for me. Alive at the Pershing, Etta James at last, and uh, Ramsey Lewis's The In Crowd, which is really the album that made Cadet Cadet. Like the the Argo put out The In Crowd. And that was what raised their profile enough that the Argo Records, based in the UK, that was a totally different label, was like, "Hey, wait a second! These these guys named Argo are making a lot of money, but that's that's our name." And so it, I think it's it's actually like a weirdly pivotal album in the story of Argo becoming Cadet, but because it was first released on Argo, it just didn't it didn't satisfy that like one criterion that we had for it. But that absolutely would have been uh, been in there. And that's similar to the Stacks thing, where they were originally Satellite, and then Carla Thomas's Gee Whiz got to be so big that the Satellite Records in the UK was like, hey, you can't be called Satellite. And so, yeah, good, good synergy there to the Stacks and the Cadet Boxes. <laughs> um, would you make available the full unabridged interview with Marshall Chess? Legally? No. No. <laughs> no. And no um, comment. 
<laughs> yeah, we, we laugh about it because Storf, you've you've heard you've heard some of the things that ended up on the cutting room floor. They're uh-huh. they're like, don't get me wrong. Talking with Marshall was such a joy, fascinating. There was a lot in there that just didn't pertain to cadet, didn't pertain to chess at all. Um, he would he would kind of talk about things, you know. He was very much reliving those years, like in the moment. We would we would talk about something, and he would have a memory, and he would kind of get it out while he was thinking about it. And some of those were gold, and they'd absolutely pertain to what um, the cadet story was. Some were, you know, like that. If you've listened to the podcast, the Etta James Paul Simon story is fascinating. It was too good for me to cut, and it was just close enough where I was like, ah, people want to hear this. Like, I was overjoyed to hear this, but this doesn't really tell the cadet story. There were quite a few stories like that. There was a lot of, there was maybe 45 minutes just about the Rolling Stones. There was um, just large, I heard things about Chuck Berry that I wish I could unhear. Um, <laughs> truly, you, you well, and don't. And it's like, yeah. you think, of, you think of, uh, of a normal conversation. It has like a marching band flow where it's like, it's straight, it's linear. Like, you know where the conversation is going. Marcus is, or not Marcus, uh, Marshall is playing free jazz in his conversation. <laughs> he is improving and going off the dome 100% of the time. And so like, yeah, it, uh, listening to what you sent me of that, it's like when I have talked with Bruce from Alligator, where it's like you ask like how is hound dog how was recording hound dog taylor and 45 minutes later it's like oh it was good basically it was the answer you get but like you got to have a divergence about like girlfriend of his bass player who like uh once stole a car from this guy that you knew who like ran a bar in the west side and like that's that's Marshall chess too and it's just like that is not, it is incredible for your liner notes because a lot of what you talked to him about ended up in there, but it's not so great for a po- linear podcast telling a story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that about sums it up. Like, you don't want the three and a half hour cut. No. I promise you because I lived it and I've listened to it. <laughs> more more times than i probably even should have there yeah so many nuggets if you can distill it down like it's it's like panning for gold um but there were just a lot of tangential things that like just didn't i think even if i were to do a potpourri cut up style of like all right here's <laughs> here's marshall just just saying the, the most interesting stuff it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense put all together that's just that's just gonna live as a, a a perk of working here was that you and Storf got to uh, bear witness to that conversation. So good on you. <laughs> um, any cadet or Argo store drops coming this year? Hope so. <laughs> tell Universal to call our people. Yeah, yeah tell all- your local <laughs> local representative to tell Universal to to call us. We would love to. Uh, love it. Um, okay, and I, I, I think there's probably going to be uh, at least one or two other of these questions, but I feel like the answer is going to be generally same for why no insert various artists here. Um, I feel like you've basically given a very robust answer of why you picked what you picked, and so why he didn't pick what he picked is because he didn't, right? Or, or is there more that you would want to say about that? 
was this the was this the question singling out Ahmed Jamal, Lou Donaldson, and Brother Jack McDuff? I remember. Correct. Being... And I have not read all the questions. So if this was the only one that does this and you do want to answer it, feel free. I just I was like, if that's gonna be a thing, like it's gonna feel like the answer is gonna be the same. I mean, yeah, to some extent it's it is kind of like these are the albums that I think represent Cadet the best. Uh Ahmed Jamal again, I don't think his best records were on Cadet, they were on Argo. I think same with Lou Donaldson. Um and I didn't want to pick a lesser Lou Donaldson record. And I think the ones that he did for Cadet just aren't, they're not his best. Um, if you go to his Blue Note records, they're fantastic. He, I don't think he was giving his all for Cadet. I will say we did consider uh, Brother, Jack McDuff, Brother Jack McDuff's The Heaton System for this one. And that was really more of a logistical one. That album is so good. If you like funky soul jazz, organ jazz, please go check out the heat and system. Uh, but it was just logistical because it's a two LP release. I would have loved to include it, but including it would have kind of, you know, maybe it would have put us at nine LPs or 10 LPs. And I think once we started talking about like, what, well, what would this replace? That was a really tough decision. So maybe we'll do something with the heat and system at some point. Um, again, go listen to it. It's so good. Um, but I think See, and the Discord should know how that feels with this uh, vinyl me March Madness going on. The the hard decisions y'all have to make in those polls when you're just picking between two great records. That's basically what the curation team does all the time. Just picking between great records, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I wish that sometimes there was a better answer than just like, well, I don't know, it was the one we picked. But like Sometimes it's really just like it's by gut and like, you know, some of them are, you know, Steven, a lot of the cadet box was his personal favorites. And it was like, you know, I got to st stump for a William Bell record in the stacks box when nobody else would have probably picked a William Bell record because I love that guy so much. So like there's a certain part of like there's a there's a personal choice, but then it's like a lot of it is just by gut. It's just like, I think this needs to be the Ramsey Lewis record in this box. This needs to be, you know, the, the Etta James and the Muddy need to be in the box, you know? Yep. Totally. Yeah. Um, okay. Disco Gravy, uh, we have kind of touched on your questions um, a little bit about the Chess and Argo stuff, especially in the store. Um, Key Lime 5 touched on what album, we did touch on what albums did not make the cut. Um, <laughs> any future cadet albums coming in the store drop touched on please that. write to your local house of representatives <laughs> to ask them to pass hr 312 that gives vinyl me please exclusive rights to reissue cadet records going forward yep love it um and then yeah keelan we also touched on like the first kind of cadet stuff that put put cadet on their radar uh to kind of curate it and what cherish what they cherished when they first uh first uh found cadet and it was electric mud as well so yeah there you go um okay mattstick.ca uh <laughs> you told us to listen to more eddie fisher and fill up church can you help us out with that uh so fill up church steven the first thing that i remember you ever pitching was darkness darkness by fill up church i have been trying to make that happen for four years now i mean like i think that was the first thing you ever pitched in a music meeting uh and i was immediately like i am all in on this fill up church record i have bothered 
every person I know who works at Universal. Anytime a project comes up and it's part of the UK repertoire, it's like in some rights hell, but we're close, the last that I've heard. So uh, we are trying. That Phil Upchurch record, Stephen was the one, Stephen told me, it has a five out of five on all music. It's like they do not give to jazz records unless it's like a love supreme, pretty much. So like for it to be five out of five, it was like, ooh, what what the hell is this? And it's so good. And it's like that is when I knew that I could trust Steven whenever he tells me something that is like, Storf, you gotta check this out. Like after that, him and I were bosom buddies then. And <laughs> uh yeah. I we wanna do more fill up church again. Call your local House of Representatives representative for your area and ask them to contact Universal on our behalf. So, <laughs> I love the idea of a bunch of House of Representatives people just getting calls about records in their. Me too. Con- yeah. I love that. Um, all right. Moving right along. Um, my. Oh, wait, let's see. My personal cadet anthology has a heavier focus on the role of Richard Evans and his arrangements. Were there any other stories you wanted to tell but had to leave out? They kind of touched, but any others that you wanted to really touch on? Yeah, there was a few. I think there's there's probably a version of the cadet booklet that goes on for another four pages if I had written every little bit that I wanted to. Um, I really wanted to include more about Richard Evans. I wanted to make sure that he was a like known as a very big part of cadet. Um, you know, obviously Marshall's contributions are well known and he's still around to tell them. Um, when we started this project, nothing had been announced about um, the Charles Stepney, like home recording, like the step on step release, like none of that was available. So there wasn't really a whole lot of information freely available about Stepney at the time, um, but there was more available. But for Richard Evans, I really struggled to find really anything that um, spoke to his contributions. And I, you know, I asked Marshall about like, hey, can you tell me about Richard Evans? And he had nothing but good things to say. He's like, yeah, he was a very intellectual, smart, nice person, kind of everything you want to hear about uh, a certain kind of idol that you really don't know anything about. But there, there wasn't really a lot of information that I could include about Richard Evans, but I wanted to make sure that um, by talking about Afro harping and his contributions to uh, the soulful strings that that he was a part of that conversation uh, because I want Richard Evans's name to be much more well known than um, it historically has been. So I would have loved to include more about him. I just didn't have any like real information to share beyond what was kind of included in there. And I, I think his work very much speaks for itself, like go and buy every cadet record that you can with his name on it and you will understand why he was so important to the label but i don't think he just he, he didn't make a whole lot of noise for himself after cadet he put out a few solo albums um i think i if i'm not mistaken i think he was an instructor at berkeley for a bit but like it was just so hard to find anything really concrete to be able to share and that made sense within the context of the story um a few other things that i really wanted to include but just either kind of had to dial back or could not include I would have loved to talk more about the engineers, the production of the cadet sound. Um, all of the engineers like Malcolm Chisholm, Ron Malo, um, Stu Black, Dave Purple, you know, cadet really does have its own sound, its own sonic characteristics. Um, you know, if you go back to the chess years at 2120, it is the sound of that tiny, weird, oblong room 
that makes those records so special. And then as they move to 320 East 21st Street, and they had this huge studio. That's why you get all of these like really big, intricate arrangements and productions, and they sound fantastic in their own unique way. Like there's there is no other music that sounds or is mixed or is really arranged in the same way. And so I really wanted to pay homage to the the people that recorded it because there is, you know, the the studio at 320 East was fully customized. They went all out. They were really planning on making like the Abbey Road of of Chicago, Illinois. Um, and so I, I wanted to include more about that, but it just didn't really make sense in the larger context of the story. But I think um, I came across a really great article in the Chicago Tribune in like November of 1968 that was specifically talking to the engineers um, and the people that were recording and mixing chess albums. It was really fascinating. I, I, I can pass along a link to that after this because I think it's just a really good read, but I wanted to honor them a little bit more on these cadet on these cadet liner notes like very few musicians are actually called out because they had a house band um you know morris jennings's name never really appeared in the liner notes because i i think leonard chess was like well you're getting paid you're getting a salary like you don't need your credit on this on this album that's why you don't really see that many names on uh cadet records liner notes so i, I kind of wanted to shine a spotlight on those people but it just didn't quite make sense in the larger scope um, I think there's more that could have been said about Chess's GRT years, but honestly, it's all really sad. I didn't want to end the booklet on such a tragic note, but like knowing how they closed up shop was really a bummer. So I just tried not to dwell on it, even though there was more um, information to be said there. And I think the most interesting thing that just I could not figure out how to how to put it in. Um, Charles Stepney had composed this jazz symphony, this sort of progressive jazz symphony in the late 60s. Uh, Ramsey Lewis, Minnie Riperton had gone on tour and I, th I think they had performed it with like the Minnesota Symphony. I believe they had played it once or twice with like the LA Symphony. It was a piece called Cohesion. I could only find mentions of it. I could never find anything really detailing like what it was. I couldn't find anything like a recording for it. Um, I'm still kind of somewhat actively in a rabbit hole about it, trying to learn more, but it was like a, if I had more information, I would have included it. I would have loved to see something a little bit further under the surface there, but that didn't quite make the cut. But I'm hoping that someday we will all be privy to what that sounds like. I would absolutely love to hear what a jazz symphony from Stepney and uh, Ramsey Lewis and Minnie Riperton would have sounded like. Maybe one day we'll release the Cadet Box Director's Cut. You know, with all the, the hidden bonus features uh, that we couldn't include the first time around. Um, okay, so after that, yeah, Disco Gravy touched, we touched on, literally it was basically the same question. Any other notable uh, discussions about what you couldn't include in the booklet? Um, and then GZW2B asked about uh, the B-side of Mother Nature's Son, cut from digital, and so we kind of touched on any of the other uh, technical production stories of note? Um, were there any other any other ones that you wanted to know? Because other than that, that would be the last question. And there that... wasn't really. It just took it took a lot of test pressings on some of them. Yeah. It's really the only thing. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, I gotta say, like, I am just jazzed about uh, getting this this set because uh, after hearing all that, man, what a what a box set, guys. Killed it. It's all Steven, man. man. Yeah, I just, I was here for the ride. 
I just got to help my man make his dream come true. That is, that's very humble of you. Not entirely true. Uh, I do really want to thank all of VMP for making this reality. Like it is still kind of ridiculous to like, you know, I've got it here on, on my desk and I can't believe it's a real thing that exists. And like, we went through this effort to make it sort of thank you for shepherding this all along the way for believing in this wacky thing that like when I wasn't sure, you know, why, why doesn't something about cadet exist? You're like, well, make it happen. Um, I forever, forever indebted. Glad we have shared cadet tattoos. Um, I do also just want to take this, this time to call out like a few other specific folks at VMP that made this happen. Clay, Clay, the mock Johnson, uh, Clay Condor. uh, He's here right now. Just incredible design. Anything that you see on VMP that you go, oh, this looks really good. That's because of Clay. Um, and he just did a, a fantastic job bringing this whole box set to life. Um, my cohort in production, Kathleen Maloney, none, not a single VMP record would exist without her. Um, she's, she makes these happen in more ways than I can explain Like at the moment absolutely crucial to this project and basically if you get a vmp record you know pour one out for kathleen she it's because of her uh, and i of pick them she makes them man yeah. i pick them she makes them absolutely um so yeah that our editorial team for wading through i think i wrote like nineteen thousand words for this just a ludicrous number thank you for uh to theta and our, our former editorial director amelia for even bothering to take a look at this um definitely keeping me honest and and d- helping helping things flow a little bit better than I think I had submitted so yeah thank you to everyone at VMP I'm just I'm so stoked this is real it's it is surreal to you know like 3 years ago when I first pitched this like I had never heard the words cadet records come out of anyone's mouth ever and now to hear like my friends and family to see random people on the internet get this box and be discussing cadet and thinking about these records and talking about like, oh, I would have chosen this and this is a great record and that and that. I love to see it. Even if even if you would have uh, curated a totally different box, I just absolutely love to see and hear that other people are thinking about Cadet right now. It just it tickles me to no end. So keep keep listening to Cadet. Go buy every Ramsey Lewis record that you can. They're only like five bucks and I promise you it's it's worth every penny. Well, any last words, Storf? Nope. We did it, man. <laughs> Steven, your tour of duty is finished, my man. Well, like, well yeah. Well, yeah. What a what a Q and A. Uh, thank you to everybody who uh, submitted questions, um, and thank you to everybody who came and listened today. Shout out to anybody listening to this after the fact. I'm just a little bit offended you weren't here. I get it though. You got jobs. It's fine. Um, and so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and get out of here. I'm gonna stop the recording now, and uh, Craig's gonna get out of here.